It's 94.1 FM KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 FM KPFB in Berkeley, and 88.1 FM KFCF in Fresno, and online www.kpfa.org. It's 3 p.m. Up next, it's cover to cover, open book. Good afternoon, and welcome to Cover to Cover Open Book. Today we showcase the art examination titled Still Present Past, Korean Americans and the Forgotten War that is running until April 16th at the Pro Arts Gallery in Oakland. Guest host Gil Cho brings you an interview with two members of the collective, Dr. Ranzi Liam and Yi Young Yu. Stay tuned. While most art exhibits aspire to instill a sense of silent awe in its patrons, the Tory exhibit Still Present Pasts, Korean Americans and the Forgotten War, aspires to do somewhat of the opposite, helping people shed the layers of silence that have shrouded the memories and real costs of the war in Korea, which is recorded in history books as having taken place between 1950 to 1953. While an armistice was signed in 53, no permanent peace treaty was ever created, meaning the war is technically not over. Through its multimedia artwork, the exhibit not only intends to inform us, but also emphasizes the humanity of war, giving voice and visibility to the personal and political stories of Koreans themselves. Recently, I had a chance to interview two members of the collective, the project director Ramsey Liam, who is also a professor of psychology and Asian American studies at Boston College, and the exhibit designer and artist Ji Young Yu. I started off with asking Ramsey a question of why and how the collective began. We decided to do this exhibit because after spending three or four years collecting oral histories from Korean Americans on the West Coast, many in the Bay Area, and also on the East Coast, it became clear that, particularly for the older generation, people have not had an opportunity to talk about an extremely important part of their history. They've not spoken about it not only in public, but also in the intimacy of their own family relationships. Their stories were very powerful and very striking, and it seemed like it would be a waste not to share their experiences with the broader Korean-American and also wider community. And so the idea of trying to design a way of making a community project that could evoke in other people memories of their own experiences, which they in turn could add to this growing community of memory, became the, um, the motivation for trying to design some kind of an exhibit. Not being an artist, I began to talk with Korean-American artists, mostly on the East Coast, but also from California, to think together about how to create this space that would not only do justice to the artist's own experiences and memories of that war, but also create a dialogue between them and the oral histories that they were listening to. And this became the foundation for Still Present Past. So sort of to backtrack, I think the most prominent thing that comes to Americans' minds when we talk about the Korean War are images like Douglas MacArthur or MASH. Can you actually give us a brief overview of the Korean conflict? It came on the heels of Korea's liberation in 1945 from Japanese colonization and a groundswell of hope and expectation among the Korean people that after 35 years of colonization, they would achieve their independence. Unfortunately, the outbreak in the eve of the Cold War, the Soviet Union and the United States were beginning 
to experience their conflict throughout the globe, and the Korean Peninsula became one of those sites. The United States occupied the southern half of the peninsula, the Soviets the northern half of the peninsula. In a short three-year period, separate elections were held in the south and then held in the north, and for all intents and purposes, the, the peninsula was divided. Historians often talk about, and the sort of master narrative about this war speaks about, a sudden outbreak of the Korean War on June 25th, 1950. But revisionist historians and certainly people who experienced the outbreak of that conflict are aware that for at least a year and a half prior to the, quote, outbreak of the war, there was constant fighting across the 38th parallel, which is where the peninsula was divided. And in some senses, the hot or the intense outbreak of the war on the 25th of June was really an extension of fighting that had been going on for at least a year and a half prior to that. So can you maybe uh, also give us a framework of who coined that term, the Forgotten War, and why did that come about? You know, it's a term that's hard to actually pinpoint. There have been a lot of uh, both commercial pieces and historical pieces written about the Korean War, and almost by collective osmosis, this concept of the Forgotten War began to emerge. In fact, in my own research, I've not been able to trace it to a particular scholar or a particular writer, but it certainly is part of the popular culture when people are asked about this war. If they can remember it at all, typically they think of it as the Forgotten War. Jiung Yu is the exhibit designer. There are actually two pieces of Jiung's that I wanted her to elaborate upon. Mm -hmm. One is called Silences. If you could actually describe that work and then tell us what was your motivation behind that piece. Yeah, it's projecting the the text on the screen, and then it, this screen is made of sheer, so it's kind of translucent, so you can kind of see the like different layers of uh, text. Actually, it's also collaborate work with other artists and all other designers. On the curtain is projected this writing by Orson Moon. My life seemed a lot like lots of other kids around me, but there always seemed to be this tension and anxiety, which was sort of blowing through my family like an unhappy wind and there were silences. Was this writing by Orson something you chose? It was me, like, particularly picked the text, but we all kind of agree it's a point that this is good text for this particular part, like, called silence. And then actually, I never asked my mom about, you know, how was the war? Even though they were like 15 years old, 16, so they had, they were old enough to have serious experience. So I really related, yeah, why people don't talk about it? And then somehow the way my parents raised me, because they're their war experience, they really want to do something for their children, obsessively even. And then we, I didn't get any idea why they were doing. And then our son's experience was pretty similar to what I had. So you, Silences, that was a collaboration. There was actually another piece, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if that's also a collaboration, but it was Untitled. Mm -hmm. It's a clay tile. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you worked on as a collaboration with other people too, or? Oh, uh, actually, it was my own. Okay, yeah, great. Can you actually describe that uh, mm -hmm. piece in detail and talk about what inspired you to create that? Uh -huh. So what I felt was while I was looking at the documentary about the Korean War, the war veteran, American war veterans, like when they talk about Korean War in the beginning, like they are very patriotic, gung ho guys, and da da da. -da. But later, they always cry and they talk about how they were having a hard time painful they, when they lose their friends and you know sometimes they lost their body part and they suffer all their life and they have you know nightmare all their life like Koreans North and South we 
all suffer from the war, but anybody who participated in the war, they had, you know, really hard time there. And it was a really painful experience for them, too. It was more like about anti-war in general and a more humanist perspective. So when I make the mask, 100 masks, in the beginning I thought of different faces, but I decided to have kind of unified face and then actually I kind of imitated Korean, some Buddha statue face because I wanted to be more meditative and you know I consider your human beings are saying and then have some conflict. I just want to make kind of unified form as a human being. And then the whole clips are, you know, that I took it from the war image and and then kind of at the same time showing that it's grouping. And then this image is projected onto that this hundred mask has that kind of, you know, unified face. So it's stunning. Ji Young is actually a collaborator on a lot of the pieces there, but can you each speak about one or two of your favorite works in the exhibit that personally moves you and that really stands out? There is a piece that is a videoed interview done by Diane Borchet of a woman who I interviewed. She is a woman who had originally been born in the northern part of, of the peninsula to a poor family. When the war broke out, her brother-in-law forced them to flee south because there were rumors that the U.S. bombers were coming and would destroy Pyongyang. She ended up living in the southern part of the peninsula throughout the war and then until the early 1960s, surviving paradoxically by working on U.S. Army bases, the very bases that sent the bombers that destroyed her city. She eventually married a U.S. serviceman and came to the United States. She's a very, very articulate and very insightful woman who always longed eventually to be able to be reunited with members of her family that she had not seen since she fled with her brother-in-law in 1950. In 1989, she learned that there were some church people helping Koreans living in the United States trying to find lost family members in the North. And in 1991, she had an opportunity to return to North Korea. And there she was reunited with her two elder brothers, who, as she says, families turned out to be 45 because they had gotten married, they had children, and so forth. The clip that Diane Borchet prepared for this particular exhibit is the reunification that she was able to achieve in 1991. Home footage from this woman herself, video that she took when she returned, interspersed with various artifacts, um, letters that she had received from her elder brothers before she actually reunified with them. But I think for me, as someone who has been concerned about unification, who has lived in a family where unification was a a long-sought dream uh, by my own parents. It's extremely important and very powerful for me both to see her, her ability to achieve that and to be reminded that the vast majority of other Koreans who are divided have yet to have that experience. Actually, it's really difficult questions, you know, which piece. But actually, I like, I like this performance piece, like three women talking about their own history and experience and stuff. What's that? The woman who works the, near the military base? I forget. Oh, uh, Comfort Woman. Comfort Woman history. And also the hostess piece which talk about her own experience with her mother, how, you know, how mother talk about the war and herself as Korean student who came to the state and study here. So it's reflect different perspective of Korean Americans. 
and even maybe because it's verbal, it gives you more details about how was their psychological, emotional kind of facts. So, was it hard to collect people's stories? There's a sense of forgetting and silence, the unspoken. These are sort of the major themes. Were people reluctant to talk about their memories? Did you find that the case? I had all those feelings when I started this. I wasn't sure if people would be willing to speak. So I actually began with people that I knew. And I told them very straightforwardly what I was trying to do and why. And when people agreed to speak, which I must say surprised me, it was probably in 90% of the invitations were accepted. The paradox of silence became very apparent. Almost because people have been, in a sense, forced to be silent for so long, the opportunity in a safe place to speak produces quite the opposite. It is not as if it is difficult for people to uh, recall their memories. They are there. They simply haven't been spoken. And so I actually had an experience that I did not expect. I thought it was going to be more difficult, as your question suggests. Um, but in fact, uh, people had stories that almost came pouring out. Who has been coming to view and experience the artwork? Has it been primarily Koreans and Korean Americans? Or do you see a broader spectrum? Maybe 60% have been from the Korean or Korean American community, and the others have been from all walks of life, from all ethnic groups, from European American to African to uh, Middle Eastern to Latin American. So it's an exhibit that has, at least in the Boston area, got around by word of mouth. And I think, as Jung said earlier about one of her pieces, it's an exhibit that, in a sense, is an anti-war exhibit that goes well beyond the Korean American experience. And visitors from, from many different communities have been able to, to find many aspects of this exhibit that they could identify with, relate to, and feel, in some sense, inspired to speak about themselves as a result of hearing the voices of these, these Korean Americans. Uh, ji have you had any personal responses that people have talked to you about how, uh, when they saw your artwork or, you know, part of the exhibit, have they responded to you or do you have any uh, personal anecdotes? Yeah, the piece we just talked about, the, the untitled one, actually, myself, I was having a hard time to editing clips because it's so painful and all the sound effect I created was really like disturbing in a way because I you know consciously did it but it was hard for me but people I think that a lot of people when they saw the piece and I think it really disturbed their emotion too as well in some uh, like actually I got more response about my Pudetjige uh, piece which is about the Korean food legacy the Korean from the war um, that piece got more response because like it mixed with the kimchi and different like spam and all those sauces stuff and actually American audiences they told me actually Koreans are eating this stuff it's really weird you know spam and kimchi together but a lot of Korean including young people they know the taste they like the taste and then but a lot of people didn't know where it's from and then it's because you know actually the food from which was the kind of people pick up food from garbage and they make a kind of soup and then they sell it to people right after the war or around during uh, yeah so people had a taste of this food and then eventually like near the military base this restaurant made up like you know you know pudetsige like kimchi they started mixed with the american canned food mixed with kimchi and they make soup 
So the Pudetic came from this history, war history, and people, really, especially young people, really didn't know about it. I made that piece because I, you know, I feel like war legacy is not just simply psychological, economical, or social, but it's very also it can affect your whole cultural, even food culture too, and it's really deeply into your vein. So that kind of response I got. I think you did a little bit, but can you describe that particular piece? Yeah, actually, I um, I kind of draw the um, I had a drawing on the wall, image of three children who is opening the cereal uh, box and like crying baby, like three children's image. It's a uh, done with uh, I burned the paper. It's kind of line drawing, and it's on the wall. And then in front of the drawings. I put little um, Korean, you know, dining table, and I put the cereal can on the top of the table, and then in, inside the can there's a little monitor showing this uh, video while I was making the pudetsuke. Uh, I shoot it, and then uh, I took some voices from the excerpt of the interviews. This man and woman saying that talking about the ingredient. Oh, there was some sausage, ham, and it was delicious, good food, but. You know, at the same time, I was showing the image of cook, I'm cooking Budetsuke. While it is art and it's open to people's interpretation, is there something specific that you wanted people to take away from still present pasts? First thing I want people to get it is anti-war message. I really, you know, I think that's a really important message. And the second one is actually I learned a lot while I was working for this project, particular project. And it's easy to just, oh, this is the past. I don't know how to think of. Even though there's a lot of things that affect your life. Uh, so I want audiences to think of their own history. What was really, you know, how it influenced to, you know, our life. Lives. One of the things I think is important is that people are entitled to their histories. And without history, identity, who you are, a sense of who you are and where you're going in the future is extremely difficult to achieve. Because of the silence, Koreans living in the United States have not had an entitlement to that history. And so one of the most important things for me is that the exhibit say to all of us, and particularly the Korean community, we do have this history, we have to reckon with it, and we're entitled to speak about it. It's also important for me because the oral history, people that I interview, the older people, wanted the their own children and the younger generation to know this history but had not really been able to find a way through that silence to tell it to them in some sense i felt it was an obligation in doing this work and doing this research to be some kind of a medium of communication and so i hope that the exhibit will be for families an opportunity to begin a dialogue that has been difficult to achieve and the third thing is the political I hope that everyone, and certainly Koreans know this, but that everyone know that this war has to be ended and that we have to stand together to see that this happens. And at the same time, I hope that Korean Americans understand that war is going on in other parts of the world and that we have to stand in solidarity against those conflicts as well. Jiang's point that this really is a piece about um, ending all war. Sitting here wanting memories to teach me To see the beauty in the world through my own eyes
still present past Korean Americans and the Forgotten War will be running until April 16th at the Pro Arts Gallery at 550 2nd Street in Oakland. For more information, you can call 510-763-9425 or go online to stillpresentpast.org. The art exhibit is produced in part by a generous grant from the California Council for the Humanities, California Stories Initiative. My mother was born in 1944 into a world of chaos. She opened her eyes to bombs falling and soldiers raping. Just as soon as the Japanese occupying forces pulled out of Korea, Soviet troops marched into northern Korea and American troops moved into the south. They became the new occupying forces. American airplanes dropped leaflets with General MacArthur's command to all Koreans. Any Korean who harms either Japanese or American personnel will be punished by death. The Americans and the Soviets shook hands to divide up Korea between themselves. Lieutenant Colonel Dean Rusk, later to become Assistant Secretary of State for Far Eastern Affairs, was instructed to draw up a dividing line as far north as possible. Too lazy to find a detailed map of Korea, he spotted a small wall map of the Far East and pointed to the 38th parallel. Thus, a young, death-bound junior officer determined the fate of the Korean people, separated into two camps, 9 million in the north, and 21 million in the south. Mothers left children as they fled quickly, taking with them all they could. They thought they would return to take their children. How could they have known they would be separated for 50 years? My mother was six years old. She was running home through the rice fields when bombs fell all around her. When she first told me, I felt chills down my spine. Did the pilot see her and aim for target practice? July 27, 1953. Armistice. No peace. Young boys just out of college served their country. Guns pointed at each other across barbed wire, waiting for 50 years for the order to shoot in the most heavily militarized zone in the world. I was born in 1970 into a world of fear. We were taught not to talk to strangers. Think they think spies. Report all suspicious activity to the authorities. During air raid drills, we were taught to turn off the lights and cover all windows. Don't let the North Korean enemies see us. February 1980. I came to America with the thousands who fled, out of fear and with dreams of freedom, but oblivious to the atrocities those we left behind would suffer.
The Americans deployed Korean special forces to squash the pro-democracy opposition movement. Soldiers trained to fight behind the lines in the event of a war against North Korea pointed their guns on South Korean civilians and blindly, hysterically fired. Thousands of lives were lost. Later, when all the dust settles, a U.S. State Department official would say of the whole affair, Koreans killed Koreans. Koreans killed Koreans. The United States has no moral responsibility for what happened in Gwangju. In America, we heard news about Korea from time to time. Student riots, Seoul Olympics. But life in America preoccupied us most. Go back! Go back! Go back to your country! Customers slammed change on the counter and looked us up and down. Growing up in America, I survived my father's rage. He said, a colored man can't be a man in America. So he beat his wife and children. Go back! Go back! 1992, Koreatown burned in L.A. Everything burned into ashes. Go back. Go back. My mother breathed toxic chemicals for 10 years at a one-hour photo shop. When the doctors cut her up, they found cancer cells spreading. Now she has stitch marks across her chest, like barbed wire that cuts across the 38th parallel. Look, Korea will destroy everything. Culture, we lost everything. That's why I came here. If we don't have a Korean war, you are not here. I am not here. So I am here now. This is my home. Mother, you always tell me to be careful. Honjong아, don't stay in the front. Don't laugh behind. 뭐든지 중간쯤, 적당히 중간쯤에 있는 게 제일 안전해. And I always say, 걱정 좀 그만해. 괜찮다니까. Don't worry, I'll be okay. After 25 years of working hard and studying hard, wiping tables, washing dishes, pulling out weeds with bare hands, speak up, speak English. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. Broken English, hunchback, toxic chemicals, hurried lunch breaks, Chewing on cold french fries, pulling out napkins, still good to use from the day's trash. Late silent dinners in front of the TV. Falling asleep to Korean soap operas. Maybe dreaming that you had never left and that all this is a dream. After 25 years, mother, do you feel free? I want us to be free so that you don't have to sit hunched over on a cardboard box in the corner of the store, pressing against the paint in the stitches on your chest. I'm sure you didn't mean to, but through your sighs and tired eyes, you passed a dream onto me. A dream of sitting by the lake next to you and Grandma, the sun in our eyes and a quiet breeze. And we don't have to say anything. I dream of sitting on the windowsill, swinging my legs and eating a cucumber, 
and listening to Grandma chopping garlic and swish-swashing rice under running water. And I dream that we can just live like that. No pain, no bombs, no CNN images of Baghdad burning, no threats of preemptive strikes, no nights when I stay awake and drink just to forget it all. No armed guards, no checkpoints, no barbed wires that divide us, no prisons that lock up our dreams. It is this longing for freedom, this dream that drives me, that keeps me from forgetting, that keeps me from being forgotten and disappearing altogether. I'm not sure you meant to, but you passed it on to me. This performance piece by Hyun Lee is featured in Yuk E O, History Beneath the Skin, part of the Still Present Past exhibit currently in Oakland. A live version of History Beneath the Skin will be performed on April 8th at the Oakland Metro at 7 p.m. This expanded live show of dance, music, and spoken word will also feature Bay Area artist Do Hee Lee. And that was Gil Cho bringing you this edition of Cover to Cover Open Book that comes to you every Friday at 3 o'clock. If you have any questions or comments about what you hear on Cover to Cover Open Book, you can call me, Amelia, at 510-848-6767, extension 212, or email me at amelia, A-M-E-L-I-A, at kpfa.org. With Erica Bridgman at the controls, I'm Amelia Gonzalez, thanking you for listening. This week on KPFA's 